the last two Sunday mornings, we have been focused on the question of tradition, a tradition that was particularly common to the first century Jews and one that they found fault with Jesus because he intentionally did not always comply with, the tradition of washing hands. And that expanded this Sunday morning today into a discussion of our own tradition, that this approach to tradition is not merely a first century problem, but it's a 21st century problem. It's a problem that we see in across churches that call themselves Christians, either explicitly, like the Roman Catholic Church says, that we hold and venerate sacred tradition and sacred scripture on exactly the same plane. They have exactly the same meaning to us. But also implicitly in churches like ours that don't necessarily have so many formal traditions. But nonetheless, there are things that have been passed down to us that govern the way we practice uh, the, uh, our worship or our times together or other things. We all rely on tradition. And the thing that we've been learning is that tradition is, near, is, 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 is neither always good or always bad. Tradition depends. Tradition can be immensely helpful in governing the life of a church, or at least in directing us on a good and solid path. And yet tradition can also be very harmful, as we saw from the Pharisees. The Pharisees' example was of elevating tradition to the place of the word of God, and not drawing a high wall between this is what God says and this is what man says. This is one danger of tradition. Another danger of tradition that we saw this morning is when we use tr tradition, human sayings, to justify evading the truth of God's word, like the example of Korban, or like the example of other things, when we are called to act in ways that are denying of self, we can rely on external traditions to justify, well, I guess I, I don't need to do that. It's always a great danger in the Christian church. And then also we saw today that tradition can be an, an element of domination, that the Pharisees used this tradition to heap burdens on people's backs that did not draw them any closer to Jesus Christ. Now, the quote I started with this morning and like to just bring back tonight is something that has been sticking in my, in my brain. It's a quote of a, of a man named Yaroslav Pelikan, theologian in the 20th century. And he said, tradition, tradition, what is tradition? Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. It's a very profound insight when you, really, when you really grasp what he's saying. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. So often tradition has been handed down to us, even in the way we practice worship here, by those who had a living and vital and active faith. And that's why it can be so valuable. When we had a tradition for years here at Straight Gate Church of opening our morning services with the doxology. That was not an empty kind of ritual or tradition. It was something that was passed down from the living faith of our leaders who said, it's important that we start our service by focusing on God 
and recognizing him. So there's something powerful about tradition that can be very helpful to our spiritual lives and to our life together as a church. Traditionalism, as he pointed out, is the dead faith of the living. It is a holding on to the past as a substitute for a living faith that recognizes that God is always at work even in today and not only and solely through human tradition. And so in these ways, that as we've been balancing these things in our own mind and looking even at our own tradition to ensure, are there any ways in which we're elevating tradition to the place of Scripture? Are there any ways in which we are using or excusing our use of tradition to bypass the commands of Scripture? Or is there any tradition in which we are using to dominate or exercise an inappropriate spiritual control? We should take all of those things in mind. But as we recognize the dangers of human tradition, at the same time, we should turn and acknowledge the very greatest tradition that has been passed down to us at this church and that we should seek to pass down to every single person that follows us at Straightgate Church until Jesus comes or as long as his church remains meeting. And that is what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to these words in verse number 14. Paul says to Timothy, But continue thou. Now this is a very emphatic use in the Greek. He's saying, But you, Timothy, you, Timothy, you do what? You continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, or who taught them to you. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The title of the message tonight is A Tradition Worth Keeping. A tradition worth keeping. And I hesitate even to use the word tradition because we're going to see tonight that this is based um, ultimately on the rock rib truth of God's word. What I want to do tonight is look at three things very simply that Paul was telling Timothy and then ask how they apply to our own life our life as a family, perhaps as you have a family here, our life as a church together, and ultimately what we are hoping to leave behind us here at Straightgate Church in the decades that follow. The three things are very simply. First, a calling. Secondly, a confidence. And third, a content. First, a calling. Secondly, a confidence. And third, a content. Notice what Timothy's calling is. He says, but Timothy, you... Continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of. Now, you need to understand the context for this calling. In chapter 3, in my Bible here, I have a little note above chapter 3 that says simply, the last times. I don't know if you do in your Bible as well. But the idea here is of Paul prophesying, speaking to Timothy, and saying, effectively, Timothy, you're you're going to be in the last times. Well, if Timothy's in the last times, guess where we are? The last times. You and I are in the last times right now. 
And what does he say starting very in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3? This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And this becomes a theme that works its way through this chapter. Timothy, you're in for a tough ride. You're in for a difficult go. And notice what he says in verse then number 12. He says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Timothy, just like I have. You're not going to escape this these perilous times, these difficult times, these trying times, you're going to suffer tribulation as well. Notice verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, the very next verse is, but continue, you, Timothy, you continue in the things which you have learned. What an interesting context. What's he saying? He's drawing a very striking parallel. He's saying, Timothy, you should expect that evil people are going to continue to get badder and badder, if you'll express the English, eviler and eviler, worse and worse. Now, notice he's describing two types of people. He says evil men. Well, we can think about who those are. Those who are just outright evil, they are very obvious, they are very honest, if you will, in their moral evil. And those people are around us today. But notice also he says, and seducers. You know, the idea of this word could also be, like, the, the idea of the word is actually a wizard. Like someone who mutters or or, or someone who does incantations. The idea seems to be, and, and what other um, translations would render it today would be an imposter. Someone who is trying to slide in seductively as, as our translation renders it or, or in, a, in a back doorway. Paul is saying the outright evil ones, they're going to get worse and worse, but you know who else are going to get worse and worse? The imposters, the seducers, maybe in the way Jesus would have put it, a false prophet who come to you as wolves in Sheep's clothing, beware, Jesus warned us over and over. They're going to get worse and worse too. He, in other words, he's saying it's going downhill. And there are times in world history, I'm sure, where we look around and we say that is, that's becoming increasingly obvious. And I think we could say in many ways that would be today. There is a growing, in, in a, a burgeoning tolerance of a kind of just moral evil in our society that is, is becoming ever more rampant. I was talking to my cousin, uh, Renee, this week, and she is um, probably, as some of you know, very active at Morrison Baptist Church just over north. And she was talking about today as she's working with young people and teenagers and young college students, she said it, it is so striking to her how, how deeply ingrained in the fabric of society the, the LGBTQ revolution is. The idea that children from the time they are just very, very young are just being inculcated. And not only is this something that's okay, it, it, it is something glorified. And, and she is dealing with this as she's trying to disciple young people. She's confronting this that everyone is just growing up and saying, well, of course there's nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with it? And I can experiment it if I want, if I want to. And this is just one example of, of moral evil ultimately becoming, if you will, worse and worse in its public promulgation and acceptance. 
And so if you're a Christian, Paul's saying in the last days, expect difficulty, expect to be persecuted. And if you're looking at the world, what you'd expect, it's just going to get worse and worse. That's what moral evil does. It continues. And so notice what Paul's reaction to this is. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, Timothy, continue. Now that word continue, we need to understand really what the idea of it is. The idea of continue there in the original Greek is to stand fast, is to abide. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 15 when he says, abide in me and I in you. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. Continue in the things that you have learned by standing in them, by abiding in them, by persisting in them, by remaining fixed on them. There's a very well-known conservative magazine politically describes something that says a conservative is someone who stands athwart history yelling stop. A conservative is someone who stands athwart history yelling stop. And whatever your view on that is as a political matter, there's something very significant about a Christian who stands athwart a last day's society in which evil is only multiplying and growing and shouts stop by standing firm on what has been passed down to them. Notice what he says, this continuation is to be based in. He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, so you have received these things into your mind, and hast been assured of. You have been assured of. I love what Thayer's Greek lexicon says about that word, to be assured of. It says to be firmly persuaded of. Firmly persuaded of. We hear of convictions, what you are convinced of. Paul looked at Timothy and says, Timothy, there's something that you have not only learned, but you have been completely convinced of. And I would ask, and just stop, step back for a moment, to ask you tonight, friends, what have you been convinced of? I don't just mean what have you learned. I mean, what are you convinced of when it comes to what this book says, when it comes to who Jesus Christ is? I mean what you are convinced of in what you die for tonight. Tonight. If someone were to see you exiting this church and to say, you tell me what you are convinced of, and if you are convinced of this, I'm going to kill you, and you would say, I'm convinced. What would it be? If we're going to stand against the absolute downhill slide, if you will, of evil men waxing worse and worse and seducers and imposters and all these people continuing in their moral evil. Paul is making clear you better be convinced of some things. Not just learned them from someone like your pastor or your parent or your teacher. You better be convinced of some things. Are we people of unshakable conviction when it comes to what we've learned? Would we die for it? Are we so utterly assured of it that we can abide in it, that we can stand on it, no matter if persecution comes, no matter if trial and tribulation and difficulty comes? This is the kind of calling that not only Timothy had, but all of us have. You continue. You abide. You stand strong. No matter what the culture is doing around you, you stand firm. So here's Timothy's calling, but notice, secondly, his confidence. 
Now, where does this come from? Notice verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned in your mind and hast been assured of in your heart, you've been convinced of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, what an interesting thing to say. Timothy, why can you stand so firmly in what you've been convinced of? Because you know who taught them to you. You say, well, that seems like an interesting foundation. Well, let's break that apart a little bit. Who did Timothy learn what he was convinced of from? Any ideas? Yes, I love it. Okay, his mom and his grandma. I thought some of you were going to go with Paul first, but of course, Joyce. Of course, Joyce, you're going to take the words right out of my mouth. Okay, so in any event, um, so let's start first of all with Lois and Eunice. Now, the reason we actually have this even a contextual clue is notice what comes next. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Paul wasn't teaching Timothy as a child. In fact, that word child has an almost universal meaning in Scripture of meaning infants. It actually either means babies in their mother's womb, like John the Baptist, the babe leapt in my womb, same word, or babies just out of the womb, newborns. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, you from the time you were a newborn were knowing the Holy Scriptures. What does that tell him? To tell us he had a faithful mother and a faithful grandmother who were teaching him the sacred, the, as this, the idea here is the sacred writings, the Old Testament of our Bible. Now go back to 2 Timothy and chapter 1. Just turn back up maybe a page or two in your Bible and look with me at verse 5. Paul is telling Timothy how grateful he is uh, to God. And how much he desires to see Timothy. Notice when he says in verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. The idea of unfeigned there is it's not hypocritical. It's sincere. It's real. It's legitimate. It's not fake. But notice what he says. Which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also. So when he's talking about people that Timothy has learned the scriptures from, he's saying there are some sincere, honest, good-hearted people of faith that you learned this from. And that's a reason for you to consider confidently, to continue confidently in what you've learned. Now, you say, how does this work? Do you know how to persuade something of someone of the truth of something live out how convinced you are of it a parent who tells a child I'm convinced that this is true and lives their life as if it's false gives that child no confidence in, in, in ultimately the transformative power of that truth that was proclaimed but not lived you see when Paul was able to point to the sincere faith of Lois and the sincere faith of Eunice, the unfeigned, not fake, not hypocritical, real, legitimate faith, he knew that Timothy would think back to his grandmother and his mom and say they really believed it. You say, well, did they have it easy? Do you remember who Timothy's dad was? 
an unbeliever. Timothy's mom and grandmother were growing up, if you will, in a mixed house, it seems. Timothy was one who grew up with a faith that was passed down from his mother and from ultimately his grandmother. And he had seen undoubtedly the challenges of living in that kind of home. Undoubtedly the challenges of still acknowledging the leadership of, of the husband and the father who was not following after Jesus Christ. Had seen the sincere faith of Lois and Eunice working its out, itself out in practical ways. Perhaps even at the sake of difficulty and tribulation. And Mount Paul Paul is appealing to that kind of faith and saying, that's a reason for you to continue because you saw it was real. You saw it was real in those who taught you. Do you see also, who else did, who else did, did Timothy learn from? Paul. And do you notice what he says? Go back to verse 10 of chapter 3. Go back to chapter 3 and over to verse 10. Notice what he says. But you, Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, Purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions? I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Paul could look at his own life and say, Timothy, you know I taught you this, and you saw how real this was to me. You saw how convinced I was on all of this, and you saw what effect the truth of God had on my character. You saw what my character was, what my example was, and you have fully followed it. You have pursued after it. Friends, there's an incredible confidence that he is encouraging Timothy to there in seeing how Paul and Lois and Eunice had been convinced of the truth that they had shared with him. It was making a difference in their life, and he says, stand firm on that truth. But notice there's one more thing. If we just think that he's talking about a general example of faithfulness and of good Christian character, I think we're missing it. Because the moment Paul would have intimated to Timothy, he would have suggested to him, hey, remember who you learned this from? Me? Timothy would have known one other thing. How did Paul present himself in this, apostle, in this epistle as he did over and over again in his epistles? Go back to chapter 1. We'll just look at a couple verses very quickly as we'll get into this context. We'll get into the, the framework in Timothy would have been viewing this. Look at verse 1. How does Paul describe himself in verse 1? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Notice in verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the what? The putting on of my hands. Notice verse 11. He speaks of the gospel, that life and immortality has come to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Go over to chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to... My gospel. Now, can you imagine the force of conviction that Paul must have felt to be able to say, I want to tell you something, this is my gospel, and not to feel any dread of being contradicted? What an amazing thing. This is my gospel that you are hearing. 
He knew it was authoritative. He knew it was from God. He knew that this was his calling. And that's why he could say to Timothy, but you have fully known. The idea there literally is a follow. You have followed my doctrine. And you say, well, why do you emphasize this so much? My doctrine, my gospel, my teaching. Why does that matter? It matters very importantly because of this. What is Paul communicating to Timothy that he should stand in, that he should abide in? And what is he communicating to us? Is he communicating something about just some general oral traditions that were passed down from a variety of different sources? And Timothy, you should keep on doing all the traditions that we talked about and also keep following the word of God. Do you know this is exactly how the Roman Catholics interpret this passage? If you were to speak to a very educated and thoughtful Roman Catholic who's been trained in these things or taught in these things, and you were to say, don't you know it's only Scripture, only Scripture, because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The Scripture is the only source for faith and practice. They would say, aha, you're taking that verse out of context. Don't you understand that in verse 14, Paul is speaking of oral tradition you continue in the things that you learned and were assured of. Those, the scripture hadn't even been canonized yet. Surely you know that. Surely not even all the books of the, Old Te- of the New Testament had been written yet. So, so clearly, sola scriptura, scriptura isn't taught in the Bible because this is speaking of oral tradition that is being passed down. Now, friends, what would your response to that be? Would you say, oh, I guess you got me. I guess Paul was saying the tradition that's passed down from the church fathers is equivalent to those holy scriptures that you learned when you were a child, and we should be keeping both of them. What would you say? Why don't you say this? What Paul was doing as the apostolic minister of Christ was exactly the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus had made to his people in the book of John to say that the Spirit will guide you into all truth. In other words, what Paul was passing down to Timothy was not some kinds of oral traditions through through the church fathers, but the apostolic authoritative word of God that he could describe as my doctrine, my gospel. This has been given to me directly by God, confirmed through the ministry of the Holy Spirit through miraculous signs and wonders that Timothy had seen. Timothy had seen the miracle working hand of God giving proof, miraculous divine proof to the authoritative words that Paul was speaking and that ultimately would be codified in this book forever. And in that way, we can say confidently to those who reject the idea that Scripture is our sole source for faith and practice, we say you are not interpreting 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 correctly. Because, Tim, because Paul is not telling Timothy, just hold on to some nice oral traditions that you received from your church fathers just like those of Scripture. No, in true understanding of Scripture and context, we see that Paul is saying this, you hold on to the authoritative, divinely inspired doctrine 
that I have delivered to you by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And today, that teaching has been granted, has been given to us by and in the Word of God. Now again, why am I being so utterly clear on that? It's not just so that we can understand this perfectly for ourselves, but it's also so that we can apply it to our own lives. You see, the calling is to continue and abide, stay in something. The confidence is so because we know who we learned it from. Timothy knew it was not just the unfeigned, sincere faith of those who were really convinced of it themselves, but it was from the Apostle Paul and the authoritative doctrine that was delivered to us by the Holy Spirit. But thirdly, it was the content These things continue in the things which you have learned is that authoritative truth of God's word. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in the way we look at a 21st century that is degenerating and evil around us? What do we stand on? What do we abide in? What what things have we learned and been Assured of. Well, first of all, we need to go back to chapter 2 for just a minute. Notice, notice in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things. We just heard that. But continue in the things. Notice what he says. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You see what, what, you see what he's saying. Timothy, the things that I deposited in you in the authoritative declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the authoritative truth of God's word, you Pass them on to someone who can teach someone else so they can teach someone else and so they can teach someone else and on and on and on and on. Friends, I want us to just stop for a moment and express our gratitude to God that what Timothy was commanded to do in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 has reached all the way to you today. Do you know when Paul commanded Timothy to take the things that he had learned, the things, the authoritative truth of God's word, and pass it down to others who would be able to teach others also? You and I are products of that same command because there were faithful men and women, preachers and teachers, but also faithful mothers, grandmothers, Dads, grandpas, who took the authoritative word of God and faithfully proclaimed it down the line across the generations of history until it came to you tonight. You are a recipient of that, dare I say, tradition. A tradition of abiding on the unshakable truth of God's word no matter the tribulation that is there and standing firm to pass it down to the generation that comes after you? You see, what better tradition could you possibly hold on to? As we've said this morning, and as as we're looking at human tradition, 
can be very helpful. Human tradition can be very harmful. We assess our human tradition that we have received on the basis of Scripture. What is this doing? Is this helping our faith? Is it helping our joy? And where it is, we gladly hold on to, to, to tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. We are grateful for what we have received in the living faith of those who came before us. But friends, compared to that, compared to human tradition, there is one divinely mandated tradition that all of us should embrace and jump in with both feet. It is the tradition of continuing in the authoritative truth of God's word and God's word alone and looking to teach it to the generation that will follow so that a hundred years from now, they will be looking back to see Straight Gate Church in the line of those who pass down faithfully the authoritative word of God. You see, friends, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, I don't care how long from now, if there is one thing that I want people to look back on at the ministry of Straight Gate Church and my ministry as preaching and teaching elder at that church, it is this. Did he faithfully proclaim the authoritative word of God as the utter and unchanging truth of God. What greater tradition can there be? Parents, what greater tradition can you pass down to your children and grandchildren than unblinkingly standing that these 66 books are the final rule of faith and practice? It is the God-breathed, God-inspired word that will change your life from the inside and out. What, what better tradition? Christmas traditions are great. Holiday traditions are great. Ways of living our life together are terrific. We sh I'm all for that. What better tradition can you have than this one? It leads me to a question for myself. Number one, it's this. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, he says, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Friends, are you committed? Are you committed to rightly dividing the word of truth in your life? My goal, I can tell you when I come into this pulpit, is above all things to rightly divide the word that has been presented in front of me. And I pray one day that if there is, are any passages in this book that I'm not rightly dividing, I hope that whoever follows after me in this pulpit will have the wisdom and the discernment and the courage to correct it. Because ultimately what matters is not what I say. What matters is whether we are being faithful stewards of the word of God that has been passed down for thousands of years and we are coming into that tradition. We are coming into other men and women's labors to pass it down to those who are following us. What about you? Are you devoting yourself to reading and meditating and studying and rightly dividing this precious gift that we have received? And then secondly, this. If you are in a position of influence tonight, if you are a parent, if you are a teacher, if you are a minister at this church with influence over others, what are you investing in, in the life of your children, of your grandchildren, of those who come by? 
I hope you understand. I hope you feel. I'm not speaking anything against wonderful, wonderful times and culture-building traditions that we have in our lives. But what are we investing in? Are we investing in the careful exposition and the careful teaching and the careful bringing to life of a sincere faith like Lois's and Eunice's that is rooted in God's word? Friends, there are many traditions worth keeping. And in a traditional church like we embrace here, there will be many traditions that we will keep when we rightly place them in their correct position. But I'm going to put you in front of you tonight one non-optional tradition, one completely mandatory one from the word of God. You want to know what it is? Continue. Continue in the authoritative truth of God's word no matter what happens to the culture around us.